0: To the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up to date coaching concepts from the world of rugby, sharing ideas to make the game better.
1: Okay, welcome to episode number 73 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Vicky Alexander. Vicky is currently coaching with the Richmond women's coaching team in the Tyrrells Premier 15s. She is also an RFU coach educator, a community rugby coach at Cobham RSC, as well as a school coach at Christ Hospital School in Horsham. She describes herself as a forwards coach in the making, and it's a pleasure to have her on the show. So, welcome, Vicky.
2: Hi, thanks hey,
1: for having me. Yeah, no worries. How are you doing? Yeah, good. All right, so so um when I when I invited you on I asked you to fill out a form and you wrote in uh, that your role is a uh, forwards coach in the making. That's a pretty interesting one. What's it, what's the story there?
2: Well, I I played loose forward pretty much all my rugby playing career and yeah. um, then uh, when coming to England and playing the regulations were a bit bit weird. And one of the regulations in the league was that if you didn't have a front row or front row or enough front row replacements, you pretty much forfeited the game. Mm. So playing eight that day, I was captain. You know, you have to lead by example. Props had gone down, and they went, oh, "We need a tight head." I was like, "Yeah, all right." It can't be that different sticking my head between two hips than <laughs> you know. So I, I just did it, and uh, actually really enjoyed it. And so asked my husband who's a prop and just said like how do I do it like you know just teach me the basics and then that's where it went I just converted yeah yeah, so
1: is that was that the start of your kind of um you know thirst for knowledge around the game and a bit of an interest in coaching as well
2: um not so much coaching because I was still playing at that point Mm. um but it it was it was a bit more knowledge. It was like, why have I never done this? Why do people not say, why don't you just give it a go? Mm. Um, because up until then it was a craft that I'd I'd never wanted to to even contemplate giving it a go. For sure. I'd always thought of myself as a um as a bit of a, a terrier sort of player, you know, mm. running around the park, you know, a bit like a dog terrier, <laughs> just yeah, running yeah. around like a loose cannon and um and then, you know, moving into front row. It just adds a little bit of more dynamic, a physical physical dynamic mm. to to your game. So which I really enjoyed.
1: Okay, cool. And so, so you touched on your playing a little bit there. What was what was your playing backstory growing up in New Zealand and uh ending up in the UK? Uh,
2: like any New Zealand kid, you as soon as you can walk you you're out playing footy. <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 just a way of life out there. You don't mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't know any other sport really until I went to school and started playing um, cricket and football and basketball, um, so yeah it was just it was just what you did mm. You just went and played played um played rugby um, so yeah i just I, I played uh, mixed sort of mixed age group rugby until couldn't do it anymore yeah. um, Had a we how do we break uh, obviously in the teenage years where the schools don't offer well at that point they didn't offer rugby to girls mm. and then um, yeah moved across after a friend we were playing touch and she said, why don't you give contact another go? So I moved into club rugby and, uh, yeah, never looked back.
1: Yeah, so that's an interesting one. Like being based here in Canada, when you hear of schools uh, not offering rugby for girls, it's a real it's a real mind blower because uh, it's extremely popular here in Canada and, and really growing um, even, even more so than the, than the boys rugby um, is in, in schools.
2: Yeah, I mean, that... That scene around the world doesn't matter which country now. The mm. growth of the girls' game, especially within schools, is, is massive. It's mm. it must. I mean, I don't know the stats around it, but I know within the UK at the moment, and especially within my local area, girls' rugby is just up on the up and up. Mm. Um, and I think that's more education for the teachers. There's more variety of of rugby. There's not so much of the old school. Just hit them up, hit hard. Mm. It's all about the contact. Mm. Whereas the women's game, it's highlighted in the last few World Cups that it's very much an evasion sport. It's creating totally. those, you know, those mi- those mismatches, the two on ones, and then, you know, the skill level around it is a is a lot higher. There's yeah. also the you know the market for for women. The, if you have a look around, even around the world now, the the high level, the top sixteen women's teams, they all look like women. They're all yeah. You know they don't look like that old the nineteen sixties seventies rugby player that I remember mm. you know having you know having any sort of contact with they are they're athletes they're fast they're 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 agile and they're actually really beautiful to watch mm. so I suppose that's that's encouraging more girls to take up the sport and you know there's there's more variety of the game out there
1: yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, we'll definitely touch on that um, further in, into the interview because you're you're a strong advocate for, for growing the the uh, the game for girls and women, and um, so yeah, we'll we'll definitely come back to that. What what about what about coaching in general? How how did you originally start coaching, and how uh, how did you get the bug?
2: Oh, I got pregnant and couldn't play anymore. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> That'll do it.
2: Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the belly grew. I decided my first year, so six, would have been eight years ago now, um, mm. I decided at that point to take up refereeing because mm. I didn't think that I was a good teacher. I wasn't confident mm-hmm. to uh, be able to convert what I wanted to achieve in words and into some kind of session. So I decided actually refereeing was probably where I wanted to go what it, what it enabled me to do is it gave me a better understanding of the laws and what the referee is looking for and mm. how to coach better. So then when I did convert to coaching, which was, uh, two years later, um, it just came a little bit more natural. Um, and, and again, I did that because I got pregnant again. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um,
2: so yeah, I, you know, you can't play when you got a massive belly yeah. on you. So. Um, You had to do something else. And at the time, the club, um, the girls, the women's team that I was playing for um, just needed an extra set of hands. And that's basically all I did. I just sort of did some closed skills work with the forwards and uh, around body shape and body management. These girls, you know, these women are not at that level. They weren't, they were social players. So so it was more around safety, making sure that it, it reduced the injuries. And if they did get injured, they were able to recover quicker.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. That like my my wife played rugby for over a decade, and uh, when we had our first uh, child, she was one of eight in uh, her rugby team that got pregnant that summer, and basically, oh, no. <laughs> basically the entire team was decimated overnight. Uh, I'm good mates with the coach too, so he was having a bit of a hard time about that, while whilst being happy as well for for everyone. But yeah, it's a, it's something that. That I think a lot of people miss in the men's game is that that, that just doesn't happen in the men's game. That you you don't miss uh, key players and leaders from your team because they've they've moved on with their life and they've decided to start a family. And it's a, it's an interesting one, and it, it sounds cool that you you went the coaching route because of that.
2: Yeah, and you know it was after my my last child. I mean, it was a, a brutal brutal birth, and it was realistically. I couldn't go back to playing. Right. I certainly couldn't go back to playing at that level, even mm-hmm. though it was social rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, and my body just couldn't cope with the with the with the knocks and the the injuries. it was more the recovery yeah. time to yeah. then get back to work after you know being up with a baby. So mm. it was either stay involved in the game, and the best way I knew how to stay involved with the game, other than refereeing, which by the way I think gives you the best seat in the house. Yeah. <laughs> more women should do it. Yeah, for sure. Um, was to pass on my knowledge and and i think that's ingrained also in in the culture of i think southern hemisphere rugby in general Mm. is that you always give back to your club those unlike england where clubs are just down the road from each other you know the nearest club for me other than where what what was in my hometown was probably you know a couple of hours drive away so You know, you're quite limited in your choice, depending on where you live, obviously, in New Zealand. Um, so it becomes a second home. And like most homes, if, you, you know, if you've got your best mate, you'll turn up. And if they need something done, you're always the first one to give a, give a hand. Yeah. Um, and just with that background, that, that sort of that culture behind a, um, you know, our club environment, it was something that I always wanted to do, was to give back. Yeah. Um, and at least depart some of my knowledge. If not my knowledge, then at least my enthusiasm and drive and passion around the sport to encourage more people to play.
1: Yeah, cool. Awesome. All right. Well, I mentioned in the intro uh, the Tyrrells Premier 15s. Um, yeah. It's, it's been been around for a while. What, what's a bit of a description of, of that tournament? It just recently got a big boost from the RFU um, financially. What, yeah, how's the Premiership.
2: Yeah, the Premiership for the women it has been around for a wee while, and my uh, first experience was uh, 2006 when I arrived in in England was mm-hmm. to set up set up shop at uh, at a Premiership club, and um, you know, so I, I think with the Tyrrells, it was a rebranding, it was um, a bit of a cash injection, mm-hmm. a little bit more of a a direct pathway for those women. To be able to who especially those who haven't gone through the new age grade pathway to mm-hmm. be picked up for the professional game. Mm-hmm. Um and, and to to veer it down the professional route when it comes in into the game, at, mm-hmm. uh, whenever that will whenever that will come in. Yeah. Um so they um yeah, there are I think there are ten, ten teams in the program at the moment. Um and yeah, it's I think it's really good. It, it's good to drive the the game. The branding behind it means that girls playing at clubs have got something that recognises those women as well. And it's yeah. a it's an event, so it's not just oh you know the premiership's playing. Actually, there's an event behind it and mm-hmm. um, a load of social media boosts and um, and hopefully in the future the um, you know professionalism contracts yeah. those women will yeah. become a bit more full time a bit like the men you know the men are now
1: yeah that, that, only, sorry go
2: no as i was gonna say only time will tell
1: yeah yeah and i hope that comes sooner rather than later cuz uh, you're know, just just watching the last two women's world cups the, the the standards have been unbelievable the trajectory of of how much improvement uh, there's been and and how how like it's just thoroughly enjoyable to watch as a, as a fan
2: yeah and and you've got the uh, the, the top end, so the sort of like the top six mm. uh, international teams are just, it's mind boggling where they've got to in the last four years. Mm. And then even though, even the lower six um, teams within the world rankings, where they've come from in the last four years is probably a bigger growth. It's it's not seen as a bigger growth because the other six are, have always been strong. Um, but you've got the likes of Spain and Hong Kong who have come through the ranks. Mm and um have done phenomenally well and their grassroots program that sits behind it is unbelievable
1: yeah yeah it's exciting uh, and hopefully it, it continues too so so at richmond what's your what's your coaching role at richmond and uh what what's your what I'd, what's your day-to-day look like with them when when it's in season
2: yeah so um so i'm an assistant coach at richmond i look after their second team so i'm the yep. lead coach on game day for the second team mm-hmm. I work predominantly with the forwards, um, and specialising mainly in the in the front row. Yeah. And that's my, my my task for this season is yep. uh, to make them strong and um, and effective. And uh, so yeah, and, and that's something I'm really looking forward to um, because I've I've always been passionate about forwards coaching. But this, time, this year, I'm actually specialising solely with the front row. So I'm a bit more focused, a bit more specialised with what their roles and responsibilities and outcomes and, um, and their development pathway and what that looks like going forward. So, um, yeah. And I've got, I've got somebody else, um, uh, one of our other coaches with us. So there's two of us specialising in that. Um, so I think the, the women this year are going to have some really good coaching uh, going into next season, and um, and hopefully we'll see that on the pitch. Um, but normally on a, a we train on a Tuesday and Thursday, and it's a mixture of of um, development, so an indiv- individual development. So some of them will be tasked with line out throwing and what that looks like, and depending on on what their development plan looks like. Um, so it could be you know throwing throwing long ball could be actually identifying that they need to nail that that front ball. Um, the height, the the speed, um, how to throw in in difficult conditions as well. So not just doing it on a nice day because it's lovely. Actually doing it when it's pouring down with rain, when okay. it's really windy. You know, get, getting it right. So um, I'm a massive believer in in feedback and not just verbal feedback. That but the visual and the the feeling feedback.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, I, I think those who have got sensory um, deficiencies, uh, uh, they would make brilliant, um, uh, brilliant skills coaches because they understand it from a different point of view. Yeah. If you're blind, yeah, you'll exactly. be able. You've got all your other senses coming. If you're, if you, you know, if you can't hear something, you've got to use all your other senses to be able to communicate. And I think if some players, you know, use some of those other alternatives, then you know they can they can really hone down that skill.
1: Mm. Yeah,
2: um, I think that
1: but being yeah. able
2: to You go, you go. Yeah. Oh, I was to say but being able to feel feel it in a different way. Yeah. And then seeing an outcome. So having it videoed, if you're doing blind line out throwing, for example, and you're blindfolded, being able to video it so you can see actually this is what it looks like when mm. I can't see it.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's cool. That's like um it goes to what uh one of our one of my former guests, uh Dr. Nick Winkleman, who's head of performance at the IRFU uh, he, his, his big area of uh, study is around uh, external cueing and focusing on things that are not part of your yeah. body but that you can sense or you can see, and that, that goes right down that path.
2: Yeah. There's, um, I've done a, a fair bit of research uh, over the last few months, but mainly within baseball from a closed skill because obviously mm-hmm. line-out throwing is a closed skill. Yeah. Um, and within baseball, especially if you're a, a pitcher, Uh, under pressure, you've got three on the base, you've got to get that person out. All those other environmental um, factors that come into that one particular throw um, can make or break the game, can win or lose that particular match for you. Mm -hmm. So um, being able to really hone them down in a different way under that kind of pressure is... um, is something that is appealing to me, and being able to add that in, um, and it is really difficult when you've only got two hours at training, For sure. um, because you've got to add this particular thing. You've got to be able to, you know, run through your lineouts, get your scrum right, get your plays from and uh, to and from it, and then you've got, you know, all the other stuff, your game plays, your understanding of why we're doing things. That all has to happen in that two-hour block because they're mm-hmm. not professional. Mm-hmm. You know, once it goes professional, you then end up with. You know, six hours a day, and you've got all the time in the world to yeah. <laughs> to practice it and paint different pictures for them.
1: For sure, for sure. Okay, well, you know, in the last couple of years, it's uh, you just by our communication before the show, you've been super busy on the coaching uh, side of things. What yeah. what have what, what some of what have been some of the, the biggest coaching learnings you've taken in the past few years that have really been like aha moments kind of things.
2: Um, I was on a a sevens coaching CPD, uh, a couple of months ago and I was preparing my video for my level three, um, application Mm -hmm. and there was something missing in my, I, I practiced the video and I wasn't quite happy with it. And I thought there's something missing, just, just couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I went to this, the CPD thinking, you know, I'm not really a sevens coach probably not going to be a sevens coach in the future, but I went along because she's always learning. You always learn something. Mm-hmm. And um, lo and behold, he ran this sort of 1v1. It was very simple, little box, 1v1, um, all about beating the defender but looking for the cues. And it sort of just clicked. And I went, oh, my God, that's what's missing. I was like, right, I need to go back. Mm-hmm. So I literally just sort of wrote it all down, took video of it, and then gone, right. And then I went back to practice it, and it just flowed. Um, So from, you know, from worrying about the video going in to actually having that little piece of – and it just seemed so simple. And I was Mm. like, why did I not think about that? (laughs) I was overthinking it, but, you know, why did I I not think about that? Um, It was really good. And um, other than that, it's the sheer joy in converting players to front row. <laughs> I
1: love
2: it. <laughs> I just love it and I, I coach at Cobham their girls section and every single one of those players who come through that program every single one of them gets front row trained mm. because as a youth player I have no idea what their body shape is going to look like as an adult mm. I have no idea if they're going to spend you know half their time at Burger King and you know eat their way through the entire menu or <laughs> whether they're going to bec- become and still be athletic when they become an adult into uni so for me, if I can give them all the tools and be able to paint different pictures, help them paint different pictures, and they're not afraid to front row, they're going to be just like me and say, It can't be that hard. I've done the basic training. I'll put my hand up and do it because any game time is better than sitting on the bench or having no game time. So, um, you know, for me, converting players into front row players, or, you know, when they give it a go and they go, Wow, I really like that. Why have I not mm. done it before? That for me is I think that's my biggest win through my entire coaching portfolios is, is those little points where you know they're, they're quick wins for teams, especially within the girls section. a lot of them the younger youth girls they don't want to play it they see it as I'm gonna get big shoulders, I'm gonna get a big neck because yeah. that's what they see on TV with the men yeah. you know but the yeah. men train full time they they eat to they eat for their body, they fuel for their they're for that purpose mm. they're not 16 17 year old girls who just need to have good shape be safe and uh and then get out and enjoy it so um for me they're the they're, they're my big wins
1: yeah well that's a, that's a really good point of it it comes up a, a bit on the show and um is I, I do the same with my like i'm not a scrum coach um don't pretend to be sometimes i have to be but um I I get all my kids uh, in my high school program to be practicing one v one, two v one. Just yes, one day they may be a prop, but also just for general body position in tackling and rucking. So I think it's a, I think you're definitely onto something there. You'd do it far better than I would, no doubt. But uh, I think it's something that uh, <laughs> that uh, I think coaches should really explore.
2: I think yeah, especially at school or. I, would, I mean, I would love the holistic view of coaching approaches, which is get rid of forwards coaches, sort of get mm. rid of backs coaches, yeah, at, yeah. especially within youth rugby, mm-hmm. um, unless obviously you're at one of those, you know, a, a school that is dedicated to rugby or, um, you know, at that professional level, of course, mm-hmm. where you need the specialist skills and just go and say, right, we're going to be a tax and we're going to be a backs coach or I'm going to be a skills coach or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that and explore every every option um you know because it's it yes it is uh it can be difficult to to coach the scrum if you've never done it before but you know i've never been a i've never been a a backs coach but i'm i can still coach go forward continuity um you know and apply different pressures to for them to create those pictures of the the one v ones and to create those mismatches so that we can score. Yeah,
1: yeah. I will
2: never be as good as you know backs coaches that are in the professional game, but from a basic level at, at youth rugby or at club rugby, that's all that's needed. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 basically you know get the ball, run forward, pass backwards tackle somebody in a different colored shirt <laughs>
1: yeah that, that's it like I think at the youth level it's uh I I, I don't even coach backline moves so I let the players decide I just ask them I just let them know where I want it to kind of be what what channel I want it to be and then they yeah. decide it but the reality is they're they're so new to rugby that they they never actually run them anyhow so we spend very little time on it but like you say we're spending a lot of time on the principles of play of rugby um how to get the ball back in defense and how to be safe in set piece? I think that's where, where you get more bang for your buck.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah,
1: cool. All right. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's really clear that you're, you're a passionate advocate for growing the women's game. Um, you, I just learned that uh, it's it's Cobham, not Cobram. I pronounced the r. Oh, that's yeah. incorrect. <laughs> okay. Cobham. <All> right. <laughs> um, so you're you're a community coach at Cobham uh, Women's Rugby. Uh, what? Well, what are some of the things that you're doing to try and um, grow the game there around recruitment and selling the game and, and, you know, creating the image of rugby that we want it to be and not what some people might have preconceived?
2: Um, for I find within um, our section, uh, social media is a, is a massive tool. Mm-hmm. Um, using social media, providing uh, little snippets of video um, and, and choosing your images carefully so having them being the image i I would never have my face i've definitely got a face for radio so i would never have my face plastered all over social media you know they are those players are the biggest advocates of the game um and everybody all shapes and sizes all heights they all get all their images are are plastered Mm -hmm. over it doing different things so anything from tackling to running into space um, you know, all of that kind of thing is all all plastered all over social media, mm-hmm. um, and and then getting them to buy into the the sharing of that as well. Um, we do we do open days where they can bring a friend along. Um, we do fun days and all of that all of that stuff. When it goes out, when pe- when girls see it, they go, oh, "I want to do that." You know, they see our Christmas day and we're all dressed up in funny Christmas outfits playing mm. rugby.
1: Yeah,
2: and like, oh wow, it's not. It's not professional, it's not, you know, it's not an angry sport, it's mm. it's something that we all have fun at. Um, in addition to the girls being big advocates, the parents are as well. We have a yeah. big parent social network and all it takes is for them to say to somebody, you know, their kids brought a friend over or that they're at school doing pick up and they're talking about it um, because they enjoy it. Mm. Um, and and I think it needs to be enjoyable for the parents. They're the ones who are doing all the driving around and pickups sure. and drop-offs, yeah. and they pay the fees and they sort all the kit and they wash it and, you know, they take other people's kids. You know, they they need to be advocates. It can't mm. be a chore for them.
1: Yeah, and I think they'll be they'll be your most powerful advocates too, because probably the first, the list of things uh, that people are going to be concerned of who don't understand rugby safety will be number one. And if their first thing out of their mouth is to say, no, it's actually a very safe sport, you've got a great coach there, um, and, you know, here, here's, here's what's happening there, that, that's going to be huge.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, in addition to that, we do um, – I'd go in and actually deliver PE sessions for uh, rugby during their one of their terms. They'll right. get rugby. Um, and I've got a really detailed six-week program to get them contact-ready within six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we you know, we literally start off with the basics. We start off with, with tag rugby, uh, or mm-hmm. ripper rugby in New Zealand. And, you know, the, the the concept of ripper rugby is fairly similar to union because it's catch, pass, run forwards, get caught, pass the ball, you know, you're always looking to to keep the ball alive. Um, and then, you know, we take the belts off and it, it's almost like a safety belt. The the girls at secondary school have already played tag rugby, so it's something familiar. Mm. And it's that first session where they go, I've played this, I know this, I enjoyed this. Mm. I had fun doing this. So I'm going into rugby already winning the, overcoming the barriers that they would have already put up as um, in year seven.
1: Yeah.
2: And then we we move on, and then we sort of drive it over the over the six week period, doing 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 really fun games, breaking that skill down, the contact skills into things like bear crawling and having you know races. And as long as they're laughing and having fun, mm-hmm. they don't know that they're learning the game. Yeah, and then exactly. all those, those all those little pieces of puzzles that that I've given them in those short bursts in PE, all come together in after school club. Mm. And we then put them into practice. Um, and we put them into practice under very, very little pressure because they don't need it. Mm. They just need no to be able to have fun and, and learn it. And then it's, then from that, it's then driving after that six weeks. The buy-in from the schools is really important that the PE department are also retweeting, sending out messages to mm. the schools. Um, you know, we offer discount memberships um, just to be able to get them in the door. And and then, yeah, it's just, just a matter of keeping them and keeping them active. Um, we have a very inclusive club, um, and that's evident with the variety of girls that we have. Um, and I've run programs for um, disadvantaged kids right through to um, where we have – an ethnic diversity mm-hmm. so I'm make it, making sure that any sessions that we have are suitable for anybody with religious concerns or mm-hmm. um, you know uh, men, any who have uh, mental health issues so we're really trying to grow the game but not just for the athletes but for anybody who want to give it a go regardless of whether they feel like an outcast because they might have Asperger's or mm-hmm. you know when we have them and they come to us and We have, I have a young girl who's got um, autism Mm -hmm. and the biggest joy was a few weeks ago, we went on, on tour and had a 10s tournament and the biggest smile on her face for being involved and active and her, and her mum said, I can't believe she one stayed overnight without me being there. And (laughs) secondly, that she was happy and playing. I've never seen her smile so much.
1: That's great.
2: Um, because we create that environment, and that mm. that over over and above the rugby, that's more important. Yeah, for sure. Because if the environment created is good and healthy, the more girls will come. Yeah,
1: yeah. And we were talking uh, before recording um, that just this week, actually, ironically, uh, World Rugby put out a uh, they've they've started a big campaign uh, st- titled "Start Rugby, Become Unstoppable." So you know, there's definitely. There's definite interest and support and growing momentum uh, to, to really develop and, and boost the, the women's game and the girls' game.
2: Yeah, uh, which I think is great. And it's mm. great that World Rugby have put it out there because every country have had their own version of something similar. Yeah, um, And now there's just a, a banding around it from, uh, from our global organisation that uh, recognizes that actually this is something that, that we should be talking about. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
2: and sharing.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, with any of these kind of things, there's always going to be some challenges uh, to to growing um, a sport, whether it's men's or women's. What what what's what particular have you have you come across with your with your work growing uh, the girls' game and the women's game that, that might help say someone out there who's considering doing doing similar work.
2: Um, I would, in your head, start stakeholder mapping and going, right, who, who can help influence me? Who can help help me? Because I think the rugby community itself is you've got sort of two, two sections. You've got a massive group. And again, I wouldn't know the stats around it, but you have probably more people who are willing to share, willing to open up and and help you by saying, hey, I did this, or mm. um, why don't you go here and try this, or I know this person, shall I link you up, compared with the closed doors? Mm. And there are a number of closed doors people, and it's the closed doors ones you, that you'll never have a chance of breaking them. So, yeah. you know, as famous as they might be, as you know, as you might think that their influence just sort of probably steer clear of them, mm-hmm. um, you know, always start with your local body and then go from there, you know, find out who who's doing it well and ask, can I come and watch, mm-hmm. you know, what, what are you doing and, you know, and learn from them because there's a lot of things that I've done that I wish I knew not to do. Um, and then there's stuff that I've taken from other people and go, oh, wow, I really like that idea. I'm going to take it and develop it. But, Again, that's what coaching is all about. You take somebody else's idea or totally. plan and you go, oh, I, I like that. I'm going to mm. add this. Or I'm going to take away that because that doesn't matter to me so much and my outcomes. And, um, and then you create your own. And then somebody else will look at it and go, oh, I like that. But I don't like that. So, um, yeah, just take what you can. Learn what you can. Get online. And, you know, there are loads of different um, coaching groups out there. They're global. Facebook, you know global groups that you can mm-hmm. just log into and ask questions and you'll get information back and just take what you like and just dis- discard the rest. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Um,
2: and, and, and get a good team of parents behind you because if you've got a good team behind you, whether it's parents, players, uh, partners, you know, community people, whoever it might be, get a good group behind you because it is hard work doing it on your own. And it can be soul destroying when you have those those win those loser those losses, and they're a bit continual. Mm-hmm. And then before you get another win, that can be soul destroying. And when you're doing it on your own, so get a good team behind you to help.
1: Awesome. Yeah. No, that's that's great advice. Can definitely uh, definitely resonates for sure. Um, in case you weren't busy enough, you, you, you've just decided to start up a project titled uh, Diddy Rugby <laughs> um, at at, at Can you, you you you're saying yeah. it's uh, it's launching uh, this weekend? Can you tell us a little bit about that program and what, what what's going on there?
2: Yeah, so um, Diddy Rugby is owned and operated by Vicky McQueen. She's an ex England player and. Um, she runs these as franchises, so Cobham Rugby Club have invested in the franchise. Um, but partly because with Divi Rugby, they offer um, rugby based or rugby skills based activities for the 18 month to six year bracket. It's a demographic that I don't currently coach in regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wholeheartedly believe for the benefit of the club and the growth of the club, it was the right way forward within the community department. Mm-hmm. It's an and it's an addition for our community project, um, and we'll be offering you know services into schools similar to what I do currently with the secondary schools, um, and nurseries, um, and it's just getting them active. It's getting them active, getting their um, you know their them uh, getting them confident with a ball in the hand and, mm. you know, doing activities and making them agile and, you know, all the fun stuff that you you see on a Saturday or Sunday down at your local club, you, it, but it's indoors. So they're warm. <laughs> um, Cause there's nothing I like, oh, there's nothing I hate worse on a Saturday or Sunday than seeing mm. all those little four and five year olds oh, out there freezing right <laughs> cold in the middle of winter. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it's, as a demographic of, of players, it adds to the portfolio that we've got at Cobham. Um, but it was also a way for me to try and drive more girls younger. Um, girls seem to drop off uh, physical activity a lot earlier. Mm. Um, and, I, and you see it now in schools, uh, especially within primary schools. So I think the stats out are that they drop off around year seven, but I think they actually drop off around year five. So that's around nine or 10, which is fairly typical with the average or the typical nine and 10-year-old who are starting to develop um, at that particular age. And so a lot of their physical activities drop off because it's not something that they want to continue. So I'm hoping that if something becomes a little bit more uh, accepting. There's a woman that's leading it at the club. There's more girls that will continue playing, and hopefully we can build from the bottom up, and just make it the norm.
1: Yeah, oh, that's great. That's exciting, and yeah, trying to reach out to as many people possible makes makes, makes all the sense. So, yeah that that sounds uh, that sounds great. And um, you know, another another thing that you're trying to do uh, is uh, it sounds sounds horrible to me, but you must be into it. Is the uh, Vienna Marathon. In 2020, uh, yeah. as part of uh, the rugby, as part of Rugby Opens Border project, um, what what's the deal there? <laughs> so,
2: I 2012, I think it was. Uh, I ran the london marathon
1: right great
2: well i say i ran it i did it with a selfie stick and pretty much laughed my way around (laughs) um (laughs) saying look look at me look i'm going over the london bridge (laughs) (laughs) um and about two years ago i was invited to go to vienna um to go and visit the open uh the, the rugby opens borders project and um while I was there, I got to meet some refugee and migrants, ma- mainly children. So these are child- lone children who mm. either during their journey uh, had lost their parents or had been sent across by their parents. Um, and so the Austrian rugby union, the Vienna, the clubs in Vienna had got together and organised um, for the Rugby Opens Borders project and they basically deliver rugby to those lone at that point, they were mainly boys and they were starting to introduce girls. Um, and I, I touched on it before about rug, those rugby clubs in New Zealand being second homes for people. And mm-hmm. um, this gave them a, a purpose.
1: Yeah.
2: Because, I mean, I, I don't speak Austrian um, and I had a translator with me. But some of their stories were absolutely horrific. Mm. And it just, as a mother, it tore at my heartstrings. Oh, sure. And I was like, that's just. You know, i i don't even I don't even uh, contemplate that I, I even understand the 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 wars that are going on and the horrific things that are happening in their own countries. But as a human, you, you know, it really touches you that these yeah. kids have gone through horrific things to get to where they've got to, have lost pretty much everything, and this club has opened up their doors. They will feed them. They'll let them take showers. They, you know, give them any equipment that they need to be able to play rugby. Mm. And over the years, they've actually converted some of them to become club members. Yeah, that's um, right. they, you know, they help. They've helped them think everything from, you know, getting English lessons to learning Austrian. You know, learning German, depending on where they are, so that they can they can be able to integrate with society really, you know, a lot easier. Um, and, you know. I, I think I was quite ignorant before I went over there about what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's nothing I, there was nothing I could do to help them. I couldn't, I don't live there, so I couldn't offer my time. Mm-hmm. Um. So I said to them, well, I will, I will raise some money and that money will go towards the food costs for feeding more, feeding more of these kids because they're a, a, a non-profit organization.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah
2: and i said oh well why don't i just come back to austria and i'll run the marathon i happened to have been there that the day the marathon was on right so it's a be- it's an absolutely beautiful city yeah it's and easy. i went oh well i could just run that i've i've had i've had babies i can run a marathon <laughs>
1: <It's> too easy <laughs> so, <laughs>
2: it's like it's a walk in the park yeah um so yeah i was like yeah i'll just do that for you so um that's my my little project and Happy. Uh, i um i start training at some point
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, well I'll keep I'll keep track of it too and um, as you push stuff out on social media, I'll be sure to retweet it and um, so so that's a great cause and uh, good on you for doing it
2: yeah um, I, I, yeah it was just I think it just touched my heart and mm. you know there are loads of loads of you know deserving charities and and things like that of out course. there, but when you actually you know when you actually put some time and effort into Anything, um, you just you just feel like you've you've given yourself a little bit, and you want to you know you want to do a little bit more for them. Yeah, yeah,
1: cool. All right, well, we always end the show with the same final four questions. When you were a kid growing up in New Zealand, who who was one of your favourite players uh, going around at that stage?
2: As a kid, it would have been Anna Richards. Yeah, um, she'll hate me for saying that because <laughs> she's not that much older than me. <laughs> um, but as a woman player, she was one of the few women player that, players that I knew who was playing rugby at that high level. Mm. Um, certainly as a as a young girl growing up in New Zealand, I, I mean, my favourite players were... They were always the, the you know, the, the, the All Blacks. Yeah. It didn't really matter who they were. But, you know, the Sean Fitzpatricks, you know, they all come to mind, in Brook, mm. as a kid. And, of course, it's different now, Back in, especially back home. You know, I mean, we didn't tell rugby wasn't televised, especially international rugby wasn't televised Mm. that often. But we always got the, you know, you always went to the All Blacks games and that memory. You had a bits book and you'd be able to go and collect the autographs. after All the kids run out on the pitch and go and see their stars and (laughs) uh, can't do it nowadays. Health and safety.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I (laughs) think. All right. What about now? Who are some of the some of the players going around that you really like watching and what they're doing?
2: Um, I would definitely say Sarah Byrne. She's ah, yeah. oh, she's an incredible prop. She she uh, she's very very skillful. Um, but she just she just the, her work rate around the park is incredible. Um, you know, she, she's almost like an energizer. She's got energizer batteries in her that just don't yeah. seem to run out. <laughs> so she's definitely up there
1: that's cool and uh what about coaches who's who's a coach uh a high profile coach that you you like what they're doing
2: um well i mean at the beginning you said i was you know forwards coach in the making <laughs> you, um, said, you said that actually. I, not me. yes i did i did <laughs> say that yes um i would love to be uh, eventually it's certainly you know it's going to be take a lot of work and a but I would like to be up there with the Graham Roundtrees, you know, the yeah. Adam Joneses of this yeah. world, who yeah. who coach the forwards, and and eventually that's 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 that legacy that I'll leave behind.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's some, uh, it's a it's you know very very technical and skilled position, and, and the best in the world are are pretty amazing. Um,
2: yeah. And, no, definitely. And then adding somebody like Rocky Clark to the mix, I think if I had the three of them, mm-hmm. I would have like the most—I don't know—the the incredible forwards coach. If I had yeah. a little bit of everything from cool. all of them,
1: awesome. And uh, last question: who, Who's who's a coach or coaches in your local community who are doing some really great work in the grassroots that that deserve uh, some recognition?
2: Um. There are definitely plenty of them. The coaches that I work at work with at Richmond are definitely um, are definitely up there. So you've got Mike Panahoe, who's get mm-hmm. another Kiwi. We get everywhere, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: um,
2: and uh, you know they're they're the ones who are you know they're you know teaching me and allowing me the freedom to be creative within my within my role, which mm-hmm. you know it is really important for me to grow. We want players to do that and, you know, without strings and, um, and be creative, but it's also really important that you, within your coaching team, you have that element of uh, creativity and trust there as well. So, um, so I've got Mike and then I also work, um, I have worked with a a local coach called Jake, Jake Cottrell, who currently works with the Met Police and uh, with the Met Police team. And he's, I mean, when I first met him, I thought he was just, I thought he was like Marmite. I really just didn't think I would ever get along with him. And yet, <laughs> a few training sessions later, and mm. I was a complete convert. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he, he's, he says things like he means it. And, um, you know, there's just no mucking around with him. But he's got this, this soft side that, mm. you know, he's quite, he's quite able to sort of, um, uh, to break down what he's trying to achieve in a really nice manner is the language skills that he's got with his coaching, um, are really good. Mm. And, and that's something that I would love to learn more and more of with him Is to be able to, um, you know, get the language, right.
1: Yeah. All right, Vicky. Well, it's been great chatting with you. I've really enjoyed it. And, um, sounds like you're doing some amazing work, uh, with, with Cobham and, uh, with Richmond and you've definitely got your plate, uh, full, uh, with, uh, your various projects along with uh being an awesome mum at the same time so uh keep keep up the great work and uh good good chatting with you
2: yeah thanks for having me
1: yeah no worries cheers
0: thanks for listening to the rugby coaches corner podcast If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website, therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.